so uh, good afternoon uh, from Dubai, and I want to welcome our audience today. Uh, my name is Sharad Agarwal. I am the founder of OnlyWebinars.com, which is a platform we created for having engaging conversations. And today we are going to be talking about, uh, this is actually our sixth edition of the What's Next series. And we are going to have a conversation around from surviving to thriving which I think is very relevant in present times. And to take this discussion forward, we have uh, our three regular panelists, which is John Scott, Rajiv Daswani, and Arnaud Kalri. We also have three amazing guest panelists, and they are Sophie Ahmed, uh, Amy McKay, and Dina Elsori. So I'm going to introduce, our, or rather reintroduce our three regular panelists. Uh, John Scott, who's based in New York, is also the founder of Humanix. He's a thought leader and change maker. He's been coaching CEOs on leadership issues for more than 15 years. Next on is Rajiv Daswani. If you want to be happy in life, Rajiv is your man because he runs the Happiness Coaching Center out of Dubai. Do connect with him on uh, LinkedIn if you can. Uh, and then Arnaud does pretty much the same thing. He's the face of happiness in Europe. He's based out of France. He runs his own business. It's a personal growth platform, which is called humaneva.com. So check that out. It's a very exciting project that he's embarked on. So those are our three regular panelists. And I'm going to hand it over to Sophie to introduce herself and then to the other guest panelists. So Sophie, over to you. Hi, my name's Sophie Ahmed. I, uh, I've worked in the events industry mainly, um, business to business events since the 90s, um, running big trade shows all over the world for read exhibitions and then on to Informa for 17 years, um, which of course is the world's largest event organiser. I launched a show in China and many, many different events in lots of different sectors with amazing teams. And then um, Last year, when COVID hit, the events industry was just broken overnight. And it's actually an industry you don't really hear much about. You hear about the hospitality industry being affected and the travel industry being affected. But there's a large amount of business that takes place through events, business to business events. But also there's a lot of communities and bonding, a lot of jobs. Um, so, you know, really, when it when it happened overnight, so many people lost their jobs. Um, the mental health impact was and is still being felt by the industry globally. So many of my friends have been impacted. People have lost their houses. You know, it's been really, really bad. So the industry then just had to pivot overnight. And everyone says, oh, they pivoted to virtual. Everyone knows those those phrases. Um, and that was pure survival mode. So if the events industry hadn't done anything, it would have been even worse than it was jobs would have been lost so the main thing was keeping those events running in some capacity so overnight everyone was trying to quickly learn how to run virtual and digital events um, keep themselves afloat keep the customer touch points keep their jobs and all of that so it was a real juggling act whilst during lockdown people were obviously really burnt out um, and they still are and we're feeling the repercussions in the industry as we speak but I think what happened was a lot of this needed to happen pre-COVID anyway, this acceleration to 365 communities, keeping engaged with your event customers year round, all of that 
probably should have been happening pre-COVID. Um, but of course, it accelerated that. So even though it was really difficult, I think good things will come out of it. So I think now we're going as an events industry from survival to um, thrive mode. And people are now trying to implement what they learned during that survival 12 months um, to make sure it's sustainable and it's good for everyone. It creates jobs, it creates opportunities um, and the industry can get back on track. And myself, I was actually made redundant because of COVID um, because none of my events were running. Um, so I founded the Virtual Events Industry uh, Institute last year, last year um, which rapidly became very popular globally. Um, and that was me in survival mode. Um, so I think that now it's exciting for the industry after all that hardship. I actually think it's created more opportunities. And I think now as we go into thrive mode, I think it's actually going to be, you know, better for the industry overall long term. So the pain, I think, will hopefully be worthwhile. Um, so that's me. And uh, now I'd like to pass over to Amy. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you all for inviting me. I feel really blessed to be here in the online industries kind of, you know, how we ended up all being here together. So my name is Amy McKay and I help CEOs and executives basically find more time for fun, family and friends. I help them to reduce overwhelm. And I do that without costing them productivity of their business because there's always this end goal that everybody wants as well. We can't be in business if we don't make money. Um, at least that's kind of part of the deal that goes on with that. So I actually started my business doing personal training. I did it after I spent, I spent my entire life wanting to be a doctor until my mom died when I was only 20. And watching that was really a traumatic experience for me. So after that, I changed my mind. I didn't want to be a doctor anymore. And then I spent majority of my 20s chronically sick. I had nine different urologists. I went to the bathroom 30 to 40 times a day. I was miserable and suicidal. And then I have an almost 19-year-old daughter. And when she was a baby, there was a day I couldn't take care of her any longer. So couldn't take care of her that day. So I literally had to crawl out of bed and to the phone, crawl to the phone and get help. And so I said, well, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I discovered fitness, nutrition, and meditation. And I started, um, I just started collecting education and collecting cert certification. So I was originally started doing personal training and as life happened and as things happened, and you know, we're talking about surviving to thriving, I developed more and more skill sets. And now I have like 18 certifications all related to mind body sort of wellness. So that's my passion. I continue to get them at the time. I, um, last year, well, when COVID hit a year and a half ago, my business shut down. My clients wouldn't come in person. All my events speaking is a big, huge thing for my for my business. Uh, all the training, all that thing, shut it down. And they also sent my children home. So I have a, she's now 10, but she was eight at the time. And I'm a single parent. So again, that surviving to thriving, I was stuck at home without an income, making any money um, or trying to figure out how to make money and had, uh, you know, a homeschooling, that school center home told me to homeschool. So um, we've worked all that out. But again, there was a lot of processes, and a lot of different things I had to learn how to do. And I redid my entire business. And I had uh, a lot of the skill set was already there. But I said, I'm going to focus on these things that this is what got me through this. And those things were things like curiosity and compassion, um, working more on the mindfulness based stuff. Emotional intelligence, I think, is the soft skill that we've been missing for a long time. It's been overlooked. Specifically, there's a big, huge, you know, we're talking about this great resignation that's going on right now. I hear it all the time on LinkedIn and I don't see it to, to the same degree, but I see it on LinkedIn. Personally, I'm not experiencing it. But the reason that's happening is because people aren't getting their needs met and now they want different needs. And I know there are people saying, you know, in the US, what happened is a lot of people are making more money on unemployment. So now I got companies complaining that people don't want to go to work for this price. And we have, have all these things going on that people aren't happy in their jobs. And what's going to 
what needs to take place is communication. People need to effectively communicate and everybody be able to get what they, a little bit of what they want. And what comes with that, how we do that is with empathy and being able to ask questions and being able to be compassionate about it. You don't have to agree with what everybody else says or what's going on in their world, but if you validate them, then you help them move out of that and into a place where they could be more receptive. So that's kind of what I focus on in, in with you know organizations and people leading organizations is leadership, emotional intelligence, um, key empathy and self-awareness specifically, communication. And those are things that are gonna create wellness and success and all the things that we're looking for if we just stay focused on that. So. With that, uh, I thank you all again for inviting me. I look forward to more conversations and I'll pass that to Dina now. Thank you very much, Amy. So, um, hi everybody, good afternoon from the UAE. I'm not sure what time it is. I can see that there's different countries um, joining us, people from different places. I'm Dina Al-Suri. Um, I'm an associate professor of biology. So I'm an educator and a researcher. I'm also a mother of two boys. I'm also a leader at my current university. I'm the associate dean for the College of Health Sciences. Um, actually, I can see that somebody's saying hi from Kuwait, Lamise. Um, I was born and raised in Kuwait, originally Palestinian, um, Australian passport, but moved to the States for my PhD. So I'm kind of all over the place. I did get my PhD from the United States um, in cell biology, studied a single protein for five years. Yes, I'm sad, but I'm very passionate. Um, moved to the UAE 12 years ago. I joined Abu Dhabi University 12 years ago. I arrived on a Thursday night. On Sunday morning, they gave me 48 hours to get over my jet lag, and I was with ADU, and I'm still with them till this day. Um, so wonderful journey with this place. Um, the only place I've worked on in, in the UAE. Um, and when um, Sharad uh, uh, kind of uh, contacted me to join this, uh, I think I'm gonna speak on behalf of all the educators in the world. I think we really tried to survive during COVID <laughs> as much as possible. I think every parent, every educator on the planet tried to survive. Personally speaking, I've never ever taught a course online in my life. We had to go literally in two weeks during spring break from 100% on campus to 100% online. And I was in charge of the college at that time. I was running the college, we still did not have a dean, so I was kind of the acting dean. So I had almost 20 faculty um, professors under me, more than a thousand students, and two kids of my own that went online, one in American curriculum, one in British, so completely different systems. Um, so yeah, we, we really wanted to survive at that time. Kids have paid their tuition. We were halfway through the semester. We're not gonna say bye, we're not gonna teach you, it's COVID. It was our responsibility as educators and as mentors, as parents um, to actually you know, continue the semester. Never heard about Microsoft Teams or Zoom before COVID. I knew about Skype only. Now it's, you know, instead of saying hi, we say, all right, is it Zoom or MS Teams? So um, we've survived, and I really think we're also, we're going to talk about this more, we've thrived. I personally have. The fact that I'm speaking to all of you from across the world today, I've connected with people and researchers across the globe like there's no tomorrow. I've never done that much research with people internationally. I've never done that much webinars internationally in my life because when they used to call me and invite me, I had to travel, which means I need to stop working and leave my family behind. Now I do it, I'm actually in my bedroom. So, you know, that is for me is thriving really. So the exposure, but, and the hassle that reduced with that exposure, it's a win-win situation. 
Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm very passionate in addition to the boring biology and cell biology, I'm very passionate about uh, women and leadership. I give a lot of talks in that area. I'm very passionate about um, effective communication. That's something I do on the side. Um, also about public speaking, life work balance, especially for women. I've been giving a lot of talks in that area. And of course, I've got my academic and biology and the biochemistry immunology. Um, yeah, mother of two boys. So I teach, I'm an administrator, I um, run a lot of research and I'm taking care of two boys with the support of my lovely husband who's probably hearing me right now. So I just need some cookie points. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice me. Man. Thank you very much for everybody. And I'll hand it over to Sharad. Yeah, thanks, Dina. And uh, thank you, Sophie, Amy, for that lovely introduction. Um, we, now that the audience knows our panelists, uh, let's get down uh, to the subject matter. I'm going to start with Rajiv because Rajiv, I saw you recently conducted a poll on LinkedIn where you were inquiring from leaders, you know, what are the learnings of the last 18 months and what are the key steps that organizations need to take going forward? So I'm very curious to know what were the, you know, learnings you saw from people who um, had uh, responded to your poll. So over to you, Rajiv. Thanks, Sharad. Well, you know, it's, it's a very, very interesting topic, right? Because I think before we speak about the poll, I want to quickly talk about, you know, surviving and then moving on to thriving. I think it's important for us to just realize that, you know, after everything we've all gone through, a lot of us have found a way to make it through or are going through it right now. And, and that's what mankind has done, right? Through history, we've seen somehow we've managed to survive, right? But in the process, in the process of survival, we've had to do a lot of you know, internal work, a lot of internalizing. So I think, Sharon, if it's okay with you, as we talk about some of the findings of the poll, we also start to address the issue of surviving uh, real quick, you know, humanizing that topic, right, real quick, and exploring the fact that in order for us to survive, there's so many different steps we've taken. Some of us will share some of our experiences. I'm sure we'd love to hear from the audience as well. Um, but one of the key factors that I saw that was really, really important was the importance of inner work during the last two years, especially now in surviving when so many things have changed. We've heard from a lot of colleagues out there who, you know, industries changed uh, overnight. Like Dina rightfully said, suddenly the virtual world opened up. Um, you know, Sophie, suddenly there's a new way of, of conducting events and, and the world started to find ways to thrive. So I, I throw over the ball to uh, John Scott on surviving. What do you think are some of the essentials that you put in place and you saw your clients put in place in order to start to survive? Thanks, Rajiv. I think, you know, it's interesting. Sophie, Amy, and uh, Dina all touched on such tremendous points that we've all experienced, those of us uh, on screen now and, and those of you listening to this live or in recording. I think for me, the first thing that was dramatic was that I had a daughter who was graduating university that semester. So her classes shifted dramatically um, and her work shifted dramatically online. Um, I teach university for the last uh, 26 years or so. So my courses shifted online, but I had, unlike Dina, I had been doing a hybrid. So it was a little bit more simple for me other than having my, my California students who returned home, not dial in from the beach. So, um, so that was quite interesting. I think, you know, you reminded me, uh, Rajiv, of a conversation I had with one of the uh, CEOs I coach when I leaned in at the camera because he was really freaking out about it. he needs everybody back in the office. 
everyone's got to get back in. And there was that knee jerk to just have things go back to the way they were. And I believe it was Sophie that said this initially, which is the, um, the ability to uh, adapt and to see the, the positives and the way that you can kind of go from this is really critical. I think what I did say to him in, this is May, believe or April even last year, he said, everyone needs to be back in the office by May. And I leaned into the camera and I said, it's over. <laughs> it's not happening. And I think that's the, that's the point I'll mention before I kick it over to Arno. I think that the resistance to change, hopefully for most of us has been overcome. Uh, embracing new ways of thinking, new ways of connecting. You all talked about this, Dina mentioned this as well, is a wonderful opportunity. And I think the thrive for me personally and for those that I work with and for hopefully all of you is to look at new ways of working, uh, a shift in communication and understanding. And also I think what, I think the point Sophie made was it needed to happen anyway. I think what, I think what this did was scrub a lot of uh, legacy behaviors and ways of working that were terribly inefficient and, uh, and not progressing. And I think, although the curve was uh, pretty much vertical, we may have liked a little bit more of a gradual, I think it's given us an opportunity to really embrace new ways of being. What do you think, Arno? You're mute, you're mute. Yeah, good. Yep. Uh, yeah, thank you for, for being there again, my friend. Love to be with you. It's becoming our salon, right? It's a, <laughs> a monthly salon. I, I think I'm going to think of it as a salon, more than a webinar. It's, it's too professional. It's, a, it's too serious. It doesn't suit me in a way. Uh, uh, yeah, so many things to say. First of all, um, Many of you talked about, uh, you know, surviving, transitioning from events or, or the field. Same thing with me. I've been, I reinvented myself 15 times in 30 countries. So I, I did quite a lot. But what was interesting again last year when the COVID hit, I just had back, got back from, from uh, 10 years in New York to back living in France. And at the time I was producing events around the world as well. Everything shut down. I was doing nothing digitally. So, uh, Again, I had to, to reinvent myself. And this is when we, we had this idea, which is now a new, a new EdTech startup, Humanaval, personal growth startup, which actually, guys, I'm in Dubai in two weeks from, for that. And so I'll see some of you in Dubai, and I can't wait for the Dubai Expo. We'll, uh, we'll showcase what we do now. So I can't wait to go back to Dubai. Today. So but what, what, what I loved, and I'll get to a point in a minute, what I love is during the March, April, last year is something was at stake again for me and for the world. Something was at stake financially. I was losing everything once again, my whole event business, but something was at stake mentally. Once again, I had to go outside of my zone of comfort. And you know what? I love it. I, I, now I think in a way I'm a nostalgic. March, April last week, I was on the phone, 100 phone calls a day to start a new business. Like all my friends who had to reinvent myself when all my fellow French entrepreneurs were trying to get help for the government, every French, because we had a lot of help for entrepreneurs, which was great. But there's a huge burnout coming right now in January in France. It's starting because they can't reimburse the help they get from the government and they have to reimburse. So the, 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 the stake, it's something so powerful. We don't talk enough in terms of reinvention, in terms of surviving, in, term, in terms of thriving, you need something at stake. 
what I've seen from, from just what I heard your, your talk is what happened during COVID and what needs to happen in order to thrive, it's an acceleration of purpose. That's what happened. So we always used to, to, to talk about acceleration, accelerating our businesses, how to accelerate our business. And now we, we actually belong to, to a business accelerator, you know, edtech accelerator. But now around the world, there's been an acceleration of purpose. And I say, hallelujah, I love it, right? Anywhere in the world, in, in Brazil, in Aruba, in Pakistan, in Tokyo, we all the same. We all needed to accelerate our purpose. And I guess that's where I come from when I look at how to go from surviving to thriving. That's right. Reggie, or was, Amy, what do you think? I completely, thank you for asking. I completely agree with you that it is a matter of reinvention. I had to reinvent uh, absolutely everything with the coronavirus. And now my daughter, my oldest is, um, she actually had a great time because she's an introvert. So when they told her to stay home and be online, she was happy. But the rest of us kind of struggled with that. But my youngest is now in a homeschool. I pay someone else to homeschool. She didn't go back to public school. I hired a business coach, which I needed to hire a coach anyway. But it forced me to be like, okay, I, I don't have the answers to this. So I went looking for somebody else, like, where do I start over? And I started completely over. I redid absolutely everything. Uh, I used a lot of the skill set that I already had to do that. But I, re, like you said, reinvented um, myself and my business and just being able to just start fresh. And I, I love the online space. It's given me an opportunity like, to connect with all of you. But I did something on virtually with some people in Portugal and it was, there was a lot of technical stuff. But so I, I wanna make sure that I express that the online stuff is awesome. I get to connect with people. I have a business because of it, but I don't want us to forget that the we're all human and that we need the human connection and that we need to still stay connected to community. I support um, local businesses. I go out of my way to support local businesses to keep them in business. And I just think it's an important part to remember that yes, it's phenomenal that we are have this opportunity. And like I said, I would be lost without it. And I did, um, like you said, have to, I had to start all over, completely redo business and entirely new market, new, new everything. But I asked for help too. I mean, that was an important thing to remember is that I tried to do things, a uh, whole bunch of stuff on my own. And like the homeschooling thing, they sent my youngest home and I had homeschooled my oldest uh, when she was much younger in grade school for a couple of years. So I knew that homeschooling didn't look like that, that it didn't have to look like that and it didn't work for her. So I did it that way. Then I did it another way. Then I did it a third way. And then I hired someone to do it in the fall. So it was a continual go back to this. Does this work? Does this work? What works for her? It's a it's that self-awareness piece and that being really tuned into uh, what works for me. What, what are our, what are our values? What do I want to get out of it? What, what is that? And that reinvention comes with really having a high level of self-awareness and, conscious decision-making. Otherwise, I mean, I could have been forcing stuff that wasn't working. Instead, I said, well, this doesn't work. We'll try something new. You know, I mean, that's, that's how we survive and, and, and not just survive, but that's how we thrive is going, here's, uh, you know, here's something, try something new. That's what I keep doing too. John Scott, I'd like to hear from you since we have kind of a lot of common background on, on the things that we teach. Um, I will speak in a second, but I want to be mindful. I want to kick it over to Sophie. Um, I'll, I'll get back to you in a second, but I want to give Sophie a platform to talk a bit. Um, how does, how do you reframe to Rajiva's point? How do you reframe thriving now for you, Sophie? I know that re, we're, we're all talking about reinvention. We're all talking about uh, new paradigm shifts. I love our nose phrase about accelerating purpose. That's a, that's a, per, that's a, that's a hashtag. It's going to go uh, get a little bit more popular today. I have a feeling, 
But uh, how do you how do you uh, manifest? Have you manifest uh, accelerating this for yourself? I think what watching what's happened in the events industry to Arno's point, um, you know, I always think of that saying, isn't it? Is it necessity is the mother of invention? So, you know, when your back's against the wall, that's when you're you're going to you know do really well or not. So, um, you know, that's when the survival instinct kicks in, isn't it? So you're like, I now have no other options. And as we know, you know money and survival are hand in hand you know with that chart you need to make sure you've got a roof over your head and you're eating before you can think about anything else so you're going to go into survival mode in that respect to make sure your business works and you can keep your livelihood going um and also i think it creates creativity so you're having to think in different ways to survive and i read last year i think it was in march or april um, when we were in the height of lockdown for the first time and I read an article that Isaac Newton was in lockdown from the plague um, and if he hadn't been in lockdown from the plague he wouldn't have been in his garden when he discovered gravity so I think you know when you're forced into these situations I think some really interesting things happen and creativity so in the events industry the creativity has been incredible um, what has happened in 18 months probably would have taken over 18 years if it wasn't for covid um, the technology now that's around um, online, offline, as people get their heads around hybrid, through uh, online, of course, people are now able to reach a much larger global audience, you know, to Amy's point as well there, um, which is great. It's also great for diversity and inclusion. So people who couldn't actually attend events before, um, for whatever reason, now are attending events. So that's great. Um, it's great for sustainability, um, as we know. So like, I think what will happen is people will fly for premium events. Um, but perhaps just the normal event like this or other events will be more online, um, which will help, you know, with, with the conference two weeks ago. It's very timely about how events, um, you know, so I think that's really important as well. Um, but I think this sort of necessity is the mother of invention. I think that is the key thing right now. So whatever sector you're in, every sector has been accelerated in some way because of this global disruption and, and to your point Arno it's everywhere in the world every single country is affected every sector is affected there's not one person in the world who's not affected because from the pandemic which is daunting but also maybe exciting if we can look at it from a different angle um, that we're all in this together and good things are going to come out of this so sustainability creativity you know diversity and inclusion you know all of those things but I think it's going to take a while to settle. And certainly in the events industry, I think people are now, you know, I think it's like a change curve. You know, at the beginning last year, they were like, to your point, John Scott, they were thinking, oh, it's all going to be OK in a few months. Let's just bury our head in the sand. And then they were like, well, this is actually not going to be OK and we need to do something about it. So I think once people come out of this change curve and everyone's in it in different sort of stages um, and people start to embrace it more, I think it could get really exciting. But, yeah, I think creativity is a really cool thing to come out of all of this. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I'll kick it over to Dina to talk about this. You mentioned earlier, Dina, that you've had more collaborations with people from more places. And um, I just had my first uh, Zoom call with, uh, with a potential partner in Namibia. And I pride myself on being able to pick a uh, city and know the time difference just because of my work. And I'm like, Namibia, I don't know. I had to like look it up on my phone. So, you know, in this uh, global village that we're putting together uh, in a more succinct way, 
how do you find this has related to your particular work and uh, and life and thriving capacity now? So yeah, I would totally agree with all of you. Definitely. Um, one interesting thing is how people deal with change. You know, you when you're talking and I'm thinking about the eighteen, the past eighteen months, how we were people were resisting going online, right? I mean, we had students complaining. I didn't pay to get my degree online, especially undergraduate students. They're not postgrad. And now it's the opposite. The challenge is to bring them back. They're fighting us. They're too comfortable. You know, Amy was saying about introverts. I had students that never spoke in class, but they're actually comfortable behind the screen. But guess what? They still don't want to turn cameras on. So one of the major challenges also back then, Rajiv knows we had a full episode on this. For the past 18 months, I would teach classes of 40 to 50 students where I'm the only one with a camera on. It's a black screen. But guess what? It's an opportunity for good teachers to stand out. I kept saying that. A lot of my colleagues were complaining. I said, no, this is a big challenge. If you can engage a student that you can't see or hear, then you are a good teacher. And oh man, what we had to come up with the past 18 months just to wake them up because they're on the bed. They're probably in their pajamas while we're lecturing and I'm all ready and you know, my coffee's ready. But you know, these tools, as you said, John Scott, you've been doing hybrid before COVID. The tools existed, the platforms are there. We just never use them. But now I'm, you know, Microsoft Office. I was using one or two tools out of this gigantic platform. Now I know there's much more to use. So the the um, you know the, the tools for engagement for the quizzes. Uh, we use the lockdown browser during exams that you know scans their face. Any movement shows that there can be a chance of academic integrity. Um, so that was, that's amazing. And for us, the biggest advantage now in the education, higher education is we can do distance learning from where we are. We're having, we're going to start exchange programs and students don't have to travel that much. We can cater working students. And that was a problem before because they couldn't come physically to campus. So we're catering online programs to working students as well. So it opened up a lot of doors for us. And that's as far as teaching. Um, with the research collaboration, so you were talking exactly, um, just on Saturday, I was going through like just, you know, half an hour preparing a schedule of time zones. So I'm part of this um, program called uh, um, Global Health Mentorship. So I was selected to be a mentorship for women around the world from different countries in health education. So I've got a lady in Tanzania and I've got a lady in South Africa and a lady in Brazil and a lady in Italy. So you can imagine the time zones. But I think that exposure, I didn't know what time it was in Tanzania, you know, compared to the UAE. So, and, and yet alone, of course, the exposure to the other scientists in Australia, in the UK, in the United States, and so on. So um, I just, I think only good things came out of this pandemic, as difficult as it was in the 18 yeah. months. I think, you know, there's a term I've, I've hesitated using, but I think I'm going to embrace and lean into a bit. I think, it, you know, there's these gifts of coronavirus, and I hate to use that, but I really am trying to find a more eloquent way of say, taking it, so I'll take suggestions. But if you're open to looking at a shift in the way you think, in the way you behave, in the way you take in information and share information, this has been a wonderful opportunity. You know, I, I often tell my clients, you can take a note at people, and I say this all the time, there's only two kinds of people I work with or have seen in the world in general, open or closed. And this has really highlighted those differences because closed people which want, and still I deal with this now, people still want to go back to the way it was. 
and they're resistant. They're kind of kind of clawing <laughs> as they're falling, they're clawing before they think of new ways of behaving. And I think that if we think about this from our own perspectives, what are we resistant to? And how can we really understand the, and I say this from a body language perspective, leaning in literally when we say, you know, I've never done that before. And, I, and my friends have heard this before many times. You know, if I say, I've never heard that, I've never done that before. I'm curious, right? I think that it was Amy who mentioned curiosity. Um, or if I say, you know, I've never done that before. And, uh, and you, know, you see that very visibly, especially now because we're talking on webinar and, uh, and video, but you'll see it in person as well. So I'm curious as we as we move this now, perhaps Sharad, we can kick it over to the to the audience, see if we have any comments yeah. Or, or. Yeah, I just want to give a quick shout out to some of our past uh, panelists who are also in the room. Laura Everest, thanks for being here. Susan Furness, I know you are around, and Shibon is also here. And when I talk about Shibon, I have to talk about Rumi, and I made sure I had two lines from uh, from Rumi for today's webinar, and it goes like this. Yesterday, I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today, I'm wise, so I'm changing myself. I think it's time for leaders to do a lot of introspection because COVID gave us that opportunity and to change, reimagine, re-engineer, reinvent, whatever you want to call it. This is a time for all leaders to now manage their businesses with a different toolkit, which embraces all the learnings. So I'm sure Laura Everest and Susan and Shibon have a lot to add to this. So if any one of you want to come in, just let us know through the chat or raise your hand and we'll get you in on video to ask your questions. Uh, meanwhile, I'm uh, going now to Arnaud to tell us uh, what's happening in Europe with respect to COVID because I'm reading in the news that UK and uh, Austria and some other countries are again noticing a spike in numbers. So is that going to take us back all the way? Or, you know, what's the story there? Arnold, do you have uh, right. uh, some facts so, on that? So I am all known for CNN, CNN reporting live from Europe. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I certainly don't have a... Uh, you know, the, the whole global perspective, at least the European perspective. But uh, what, what I can tell you is, I mean, what we've seen in Australia, right? What we've seen in New Zealand, right? Politicians just really scare shit of what people thinking. And just, uh, they, they, I mean, they all, you know, it's, it's, for me, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a political work. It's a, it's a strategic, right? Uh, am I going to be reelected if I, if, if I if I can find people or is that what they want to hear the majority of people on it's only my personal view so on, on this personal view you know people were so against confinement at the beginning in Europe so against and now they start no no it's better to confine and I mean we've seen I put my my three years old kid in a Montessori school right very creative as you all know and then the other day there's only a hundred kids in the school right one kid got COVID after two weeks of vacation, because in France we have every six weeks, we have two weeks vacation. The day after vacation, the day, they closed the whole school for one kid who apparently uh, got coffee and get, and I'm like, and they closed the, the school again for eight days. When other school, they don't have to do that. It was not the protocol. It's, you don't have to close all classes. You have to, especially three years old. I mean, uh, and then, you know, some three years old are scared. I'm like, why is scaring? So, 
uh, all over Europe, there's a big scare. And, then, and, and, and what I found out also in Europe, I'm talking for France, but I think in some similar, people get help from the government if it's confined, if they close their restaurants. In France, for instance, a lot of restaurants owner actually made more money during the confinement than before the confinement, especially small restaurants, especially if they didn't have any debt. Uh, so some actually business owner are playing with it. Some salaried are playing with it. They actually want it. Um, that, that's what I'm saying. Right? I, I don't talk from a medical right. perspective. I don't know what's best for me. Right, right. But from a, a more, from a mental perspective, I think it's really bad to confine people yeah. again. From a business perspective, I think long-term, it's very bad. From a medical perspective, I don't know what's best. But yeah, the right. whole shift is coming back to, to your end. Europe is, you know, on John's point, more people are open or close. Europe, you know, we still, we, you know, right. you know, we close, mostly close. So and I'll, okay. I'll tell you though, I'll tell you though, real quick. In Milan last month, um, I was hard pressed to find uh, outside, inside, yes, masks, but outside was uh, was a full party and. I'll be in Paris next week. Uh, the requirements are very different, changing very quickly. And then I found out when I returned to uh, Rome in a few weeks for work. Uh, similarly, the Green Pass is changing and evolving, and there's so many things in motion. But we, this is a whole other webinar topic. We can yeah. go down a very big rabbit hole. But I'll kick it over to yeah. Siobhan. Great to see you again, Siobhan. Great to be here. And I feel a bit like I need to come out of the closet here because I am thriving and I have been thriving. And I often feel a little bit guilty about that because there's so much awfulizing. I love that distinction, John Scott, of the closed and the open. Um, and, you know, we hear so much of this um, panic and um, being locked down and fear, uh, propaganda. And yet in, in all of that, uh, some of the uh, things that uh, Amy and uh, Dina and Sophie have talked about have come incredible opportunities. And I wouldn't be here, you know, Rajiv, I, I get access to you, Sherrod, we've had some beautiful interactions. These are all things that I would never have had access to before. But I think the biggest thing, and it was something that, um, both Sophie and Amy and Dina referred to is this notion of the soft skills and the opening um, of EQ. And we're now having conversations, you know, I think especially around spiritual quotient as well and spiritual intelligence that would have been taboo two years ago. And now we can start, um, you know, having these conversations. So for me, it's very much that the Leonard Cohen, you know, uh, the cracks appear so the light can get in. And, um, you know, there's a, a whole new awakening. And so when you asked your question, I, I immediately thought of our gorgeous Susan uh, Furness. And, you know, the, the first answer is we talk in, you know, we talk in first. And I think that is one of the things, the opportunities that's opened up and why there's that potentiality of thriving across the world. Great insights. John Scott? You know, I, I, I'm curious on this to, uh, to give back to um, Sophie. Um, I think that when we talk about these changes that everyone's in the midst of, 
Uh, I'm curious how, I'll kick it back to all the, all to Dina and Sophie and, and Amy on this. How, uh, if you can give me one example of how this has accelerated a, from a thriving perspective, the way you go about your day to day every day. Just give me one example, perhaps. From a work perspective, um, I think that it's in the events industry, we're just doing loads on 365 communities. So before with events, you just had this explosion, didn't you? And, and that was it. So, um, but what's really exciting is this 365 community. It's something I've always really been interested in because I'm from a small town in Wales. It's a really small community. Um, and uh, in fact, my oldest friend in the world, I introduced to Sharad and she's speaking on your session tomorrow. Um, and I went back there on the weekend. Everyone knows everyone. It's such a community. And I love the fact that it's being used more in business now as well. And I think that links to this sense of belonging, you know, this sort of tribal feeling that everyone wants to belong to something. And I think that's something that events before didn't really leverage and I think that it's a shame because you know there's so much more you can do once you have that events community you can bring people together so from a day-to-day -day perspective I really like that because I'm in touch with people more than I would have been um, through technology through webinars like this through whatever the means um, way more than I would have been pre-COVID so and I think that's also really important for events as well as on a personal level. Um, so, you know, we've, we we did Zoom quizzes with my family and I had my dad and my stepmom in their 70s doing these Zoom quizzes with us during lockdown. Um, and that was lovely because we actually spent more time together with a fam as a family than we would have done. So from every level, I just think there's more opportunity to build our communities um, and definitely the, in the events industry and it should have been happening. So I'm excited that it's happening now. Great. Thanks, Sophie. It's interesting too, because you said about connecting. We had a virtual Mother's Day last year with like 50 people on screen, which was comedic at best um, as well, just getting people connected. Amy, what's a, what's a way or two that you've seen um, things pivot in a to a thriving perspective from, from your perspective right now? Both um, personally and professionally, I've always, um, I've been practicing meditation and mindfulness for a number of years. And I find that I'm much more intentional and mindful like I always said I was going to be with what I choose to do and who I spend my time with. Like, cause now the internet, I can be so easy to be overwhelmed by it. And when you're online for marketing purposes, uh, I'm very, very selective about what that looks like. I'm very intentional about the time I spend with my children. It's not that I fear that life is short or that I don't worry about, I don't worry about getting the coronavirus. I don't worry about any of that, about that. I care about what I do day to day and moment to moment more than I ever did and choosing consciously where I really want to spend my time. So that's, right. that's definitely you. both personally and professionally. Yeah. That's cool. Dina. Yeah. I mean, I'd say it over and over again, exposure to the world. Most of our events at the level of the university were either at within ADU or maximum within the UAE. Now, anything we do online is open to the entire globe. We've never had that much exposure before. So that's at the professional level. At the personal level, I must say also, I agree with Amy. I mean, I got to spend so much time with my family. I don't think we've ever had three meals together um, as a family before COVID, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And um, this has been amazing. And for me as a mother, one of the most uh, precious moments also, I was able to see them while they're learning at home. I was never in class with them, so I witnessed what the teachers are delivering. And you know what? I came to find out about the, um, the gaps that they, they need help in. 
because I didn't know there are areas where when the teacher asked and I would I thought that my son would automatically answer but he was struggling in certain areas so also I came to find out what to focus on as a mother because I'm, I'm literally sitting with because I'd be teaching or running a meeting and they were both around me so that was another definitely a big advantage and of course as um, Sophie said the family connection as a Palestinian, I've got family in every single country in the world. We never met like this. So we were able, we had a family member who was going through cancer at the same time. So it was so nice that we were able to see each other at that time during difficult time where everybody is just in one meeting. So um, that's my experience. I want to kick it back to Rajiv because, you know, I keep seeing this thread through everything, Rajiv. And, and this is going to be the least surprising thing that we can share, but I see this thread of, of mindfulness as an accelerator to this thriving uh, mindset and this reality that we're hopefully all experiencing and, and moving towards more regularly. What do you think about that, Rajiv? Well, you know what? Well said. I, I know Amy just mentioned it as well. And, and, it's, and from the chat, you know, you guys have all been very active and I, I'm, I'm trying to man the chat as we all talk. But absolutely, I, I think one of the, the imperative steps that everyone has taken is, is with this time that we've received is, is start to show up more consciously. So inner work has, seems to be very central. Everyone is now stepping into that space or a lot of people are stepping into that space right now. And they're seeing, you know, Amy, I know you speak about mindfulness and you've been practicing it, but now, you know, for the first time we're hearing, you know, the corporate space understand the value of what they used to refer as soft skills, right? What they used to refer as when we talk about, you know, we talk about EQ, well, we all know EQ is, is part of being human, we have to bring to the table, right? But organizations now are seeing how it does impact. So, you know, John Scott, we think about, about being mindful, being here, being present, being kind. We start to also talk about all the other things that we've all known for so long, but haven't been applying at work. Yeah. And so moving this these soft skills that were defined, and I and I, I don't like to refer to them as soft skills. That's why I keep on saying humanizing, right, John Scott? Yeah, so we, we we talked about this uh, on the last one we had, and I talked or no, no, we're talking about this because I've shifted how I, I use this from a vernacular with clients, and I talk about business skills and human skills or life, you know. So, and I think that there's at least in the U.S. in my perspective, there's this diminishment that happens if you mention soft skill. It doesn't seem as it's a priority. I think this time for all of us has really accelerated the fact that we have to look at people from a holistic perspective as a whole person, you know, what makes them tick, what keeps them energized, what gives them, uh, what, how do they find purpose? You know, accelerating purpose as Arno said earlier is a fantastic phrase. So for all of us, uh, for all of you on the, um, thanks Laura, uh, for those of you on the chat or, or those of us on screen, how do you feel as if the, the human side of your life and work have come into a bit more. I, Ladina just mentioned it in terms of her connection with her family uh, and such. And I think it's interesting because Amy mentioned her meditative uh, meditation practice. My gym closed and I ordered things online that I got frankly scammed and never showed up. And I was one of many who fell into this trap. And I just started running as like my morning meditation. And, uh, and it became this, uh, you know, I not started running, I should say, I returned to a little bit more accelerated running, but um, how have you found this human side of the last 18 months um, has really come into play to your work, let's say? How, do, how have you connected more on a personal level? We've talked about, obviously, this, 
but have you had sidebars? Have you had ways in this has contributed? And I'll put this to the panel and to the uh, participants as well. Siobhan, yeah, if I may, yeah, if I may come in, I mean, uh, uh, in my case, even though I run a small organization, I think it gave me an opportunity to got to know my people well through the interactions I was having with them. And uh, earlier, uh, you know, before COVID happened, I was in a different mindset where I thought I was the boss and I wanted everybody to do it my way. But when COVID happened, I, I changed my total mindset. Now I believe that I'm working for my people. I'm responsible to make sure that they are happy, that they are motivated. And it taught me that I have to listen more right? I have to understand them more. So empathy is not only getting into other people's shoes. I think it's getting into living uh, their way. So you know their challenges and then, um, you know, you are better equipped to handle them. So for me, uh, building teams that trust each other has been a valuable lesson. Motivating people by getting to know them and listening to them has probably made me a better manager. And I think a lot of leaders are realizing that this is the right way forward. And I would hate to see if just because certain countries are approaching herd immunity and they are going to you know, get that swagger back or start behaving like CEOs who care only for shareholders and not for stakeholders, it will be a pity if people go back to that way of managing. I hope all the learnings of last 18 months are ingrained in all leaders forever, right? And also from a business point of view, the biggest learning as a leader for me was that I realized I have to have a plan B, a plan C and a plan D in place because we are on shifting sand. Gone are the days when you had one business plan and you went with it. So you need to plan better and know when you need to shift those gears at the appropriate time. So I think in many ways, we are wiser and uh, we just need to implement all those learnings. What, what do the rest of the panelists think? Over to anybody who wants to take it forward. Oh, well, just want to pick that up around uh, how has it impacted? You know, um, you talked, uh, Sherrod, there about that shift to servant leadership, um, you know, rather than the, the charismatic leader. I think for me, it's opened up where I can be more me and more authentic in my engagement, because that's actually what people need in an online virtual space. If you're to have that meaningful engagement. Um, and so it's given me permission to be more me, to be more my spiritual world, which was a very private space and certainly not part something I would share. Um, as Susan, our wordsmith, who's going crazy in the chat <laughs> and, and, and coming out with, with absolute gems, but that key thing about that heart. And there's something about the virtual space, Susan, I just saw, you know, moving from fearful to fearless leadership. Again, I think that's something that the um, virtual space almost gives us permission to do um, and to be more genuine about who we are and more holistic about how we express and we present ourselves. Yeah, great insights there. Thank you. Just again, to put it to the group, uh, the, the participants, if anyone would like to speak, I'm just going to kind of name some of the people. Uh, Dre, if you have something to say, Lara, Lori, uh, Vincil, 
Uh, anyone on the chat, if you have uh, something to say, please uh, chime in. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Siobhan, for that. For me, I just think that obviously everyone's been talking more about kindness and, and mental health. And as Sharad knows, I love um, the Dalai Lama. And Rajiv, you know, one of his quotes is uh, the purpose of our lives is to be happy. So uh, I was going to say that to you. Um, also a big fan of Rumi. Um, but, but I think it's great that people are talking more about kindness and people are talking more about mental health. And I think that, again, that's been accelerated and it's been a long time coming. But my concern is, you know, is this going to stay and will this continue you know, once once things go uh, open up again, um, because all this talk is great, but now it's like, how are we going to make sure that it's actioned and that it stays forever and that people are more, you know, people are kinder and people are, you know, more interested in, in mental health and being more aware of how actions and words can hurt others. And I just think like, how can we make sure that that continues for years and years to come and you know I don't I don't know the answer but that's my concern is that it's talk now but how does it actually be actioned and stay forever? Great question I think that you know I'll kick it over to uh, Laura I'm curious about your perspective on that uh, that Sophie well, just put. Um, can you hear me yeah not yes. on mute just checking um, okay so just for a second I, I just wanted to share some of you know this um, I'm going to take it out of Covid for a minute and just share that eight years ago, I was hit by a car when I was out running and I, my whole body was shattered. In the last eight years, I've been through 17 surgeries to rebuild me. I've got two more next week um, and I've learned to thrive in life. I've every, for so long, I've had challenges hurling at me that I've got to find a way to come back from. And I think what I've learned particularly, and I think this is what a lot of people found during COVID, is that we work so often on automatic pilot. We spend so much time just doing and just being for everybody. And we don't actually take that time to really think for ourselves. You know, who am I? What really matters to me? What, what, am, I, what am I here to achieve in life? What's my purpose? And I think this is where it's uh, sort of saying it's become really important because over COVID, you know, particularly... People are saying, pivot, pivot, pivot. And everyone's saying, oh, I'll do this, and I'll do that. And we're trying to reinvent. And sometimes we get it right. And sometimes we've got to reinvent and reinvent. And that's great. But then we've got to consolidate that. And we've got to say now, okay, so what is our purpose? What are we here to do? And how? what, what are our strengths? What are we great at? How are we going to align that? to make things happen. I've worked with so many leaders who have got so much experience and they've spent so long being in their business and being part of their business that they've forgotten who they are and where their unique value is and where their team's unique value is. And I think, you know, it's brought it all to forwards to say, let's start appreciating the diversity in people. Let's look at what we stand for, what we believe in. And how do we align that so that moving forwards, you know, at the end of the day, people's perception of us is what we put out there. So culture really matters. And it's how are we defining that now? What are we going to put in place with our values and our behaviors to drive things forward so that we're really thriving? Um, and I do believe we can prepare to get the best out of life uh, in that respect, because I've had to do it so many times. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Laura. I'm going to ask Arnaud to, to jump in. I think when 
we look at this, you mentioned something and Sophie did as well. It's, it's, I believe the challenge that we're going to face is from a, a group that enjoyed or didn't want to examine and slow down to Laura's point and to Sophie's point about sustainability of this change. Some people found comfort in the distraction, right? They didn't have to really look inside. They didn't have to look around them. They, they weren't being as self-aware as Sharad saying, you know, how can I serve my people? Because there was an interesting uh, side kind of never spoken, but whispered, you know, like loving what you do and being happy and having purpose. Like those are nice, but like we have hard metrics to meet, right? They were seen as in many cases as disparate. And now I think people see this as a whole. And how can we find this uh, harmony between mindfulness, consciousness, uh, effort, learning and success. And uh, I'll kick it over to Arnaud and get your perspective on, on this collective. Thanks. Uh, to, to your point, uh, Laura, uh, when you say we, uh, you know, we always on autopilot, all of us, yeah, sort of, uh, we, we've read and experiment ourselves. And to your point, it's so good to keep mentioning. I just read this amazing book. If any of you have read it, you, you, you have to read it. It's called Atomic Habits from James Clear is the number one guy on discipline. Um, and since at 48 years old, I start, oh, would it be nice for me to have some sort of discipline in my life? So let's get down to it. And I start with it and I'm implementing for the very first time since I always, I was always, uh, I was always working on motivation, but without discipline, which is amazing how I did some things in my life. Uh, but he said on his book, 50% of what we do, 50% is autopilot, 50% are not conscious choice. It's just routine. We get to work and we just do, or we got our kids. And it's just being for everything we've all been saying. I mean, we, we've talked in Dubai when we met, you know, I'm so much in consciousness, conscious leadership, everything. Whenever I worked in the UN, it was a conscious leadership training I was doing. But it's true. And that's what he mentioned in his book. It's just being conscious, conscious, conscious. So right now there's, there is a rise of consciousness since we are with ourselves more, with our family more, with our employee more. We're forced to be more conscious. And this is, the, I mean, this is amazing. And, and hearing you, there is one more thing. The platform we, we, we are developing now, right, Humanavisor, is actually a soft-skill platform. But I've just learned in France, it must probably be the same statistic everywhere in the world, 70% of employees don't know what means soft skills, 70%, right? So we all hear leaders and consultants and visionaries, whatever, talking to CEOs, but on the, and, and when I talk to, so what do you mean thriving? What do you mean uh, being conscious? They must be absolute no idea. And the, 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 the people that, um, you know, starting out right now, so many schools need our advices and, 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 and I'm thinking of you, Dina. I've never talked, I mean, talked, I don't, I don't do so much lecture in school because I don't have time, but I've never talked so much to develop our business with school right now. Three years ago, there was only one school in France, the number one uh, business school they wanted to hear about what do we do, I should say. And now every school, the lower, lowest ranked schools, they teach us soft skill. We don't want young people, 21, 22, 23 years old, go in the world without that, uh, that emotional intelligence knowledge, with, without knowledge of resilience, without knowledge of community building. So 
hearing you, yeah, it's not soft skills, it's more human skills or, or conscious skills, right? Someone said in the chat, we should not say, we should not divide the word between hard and soft skill. I agree, we yet to, to find a word that make, but for the very first time, yeah, make, I mean, you know, someone said, uh, you know, the, the, the goal of a life is to make uh, uh, every unconscious thing conscious. That's it. That's our one goal in life. And I guess it's the one goal of humanity for, 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 for those of us that work with employee, uh, employees from anywhere in the world. It's this, it's just making, making those unconscious uh, choice conscious more and more. Um, that, that was my two cents. I'm right. curious Laura is raising her hand. Laura is raising her hand. Oh, there we go. Better? Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to share very quickly on that, the power of what you've just said, because honestly, you know, when I had my accident and people were saying to me, how are you so resilient? I thought, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. And that's why, I, you know, I did so much positive psychology and I became a Gallup strengths coach, because what I realized is that we all have an incredible amount of inner resources that we use unconsciously. We don't really appreciate all these things that we've got. And it is unconscious. And it's only when you start to realize what those things are. Once you do, and you actually tap into those things and you consciously work on them, there is huge power to achieve things that you didn't know you had. And, and I have done this again and again and again because I've learned how. But as you rightly said, Arno, so many people have no idea. They assume everyone does what they do and they have no idea this huge power that we have ourselves to make things happen. And so we're so unconscious. But when we bring it to consciousness, wow. It's, it's just made a huge difference to my life, I have to say, and to hopefully how I can help others. But really, I love that. Thank you for sharing. That's yeah. awesome. Thanks, Laura. One point, about, by the way, about what Arnaud said uh, in the schools. I can tell you that um, Jen is doing a mindfulness program in uh, preschools now where they've been so accelerated in getting feedback from the parents that they want someone to come in and do mindfulness training to three and four-year-olds. Um, so I think to Sophie's point about sustainability, with all due respect to those of us on the on this call, you know, we're, we're the future generation and we can see this from our students, right, Dina, and the, those of us that teach, you know, we see that future generation coming up. And I think Arnaud was saying about uh, being distracted and being engaged. And, you know, we have a group of a population in our group that's lived on this, you know, like, and they've, you know, they're not wanting their cameras on. And that was the requirement, by the way, for my class. Like there was no option to have the camera off. You need your camera on. I need to see your face on the camera. It met with great resistance at the beginning. Um, and it's a great opportunity to see how can we make this sustainable, these changes sustainable. So, Sharad? Yeah, I see Dina raising her hand. Dina, over to you. Yeah, uh, thank you. So I have a two kind of concerns and maybe I need everyone's, uh, some people's feedback on this, that, you know, one of the things that Sophie had mentioned is about mental health. I've never heard students open up to the extent they had in the past 18 months about their mental health issues. I don't know if it's because they're struggling more or the fact, again, they're talking behind a the screen. They've, they, we're very close. I love my students. We have a great relationship, 
but usually it doesn't go that far where they tell me about their personal life and what's happening. It's more academic advice. But I did more one-on-one -on -one counseling. Of course, I'm not even authorized, but I felt like I had to um, because nobody else was listening. Um, students, you know, thinking about, you know, suicidal thoughts and serious issues. But a lot of it, again, they were not comfortable turning on the camera. They wanted to talk about it, but they didn't want me to see them. I wonder, because in January in the UAE, we're supposed to be 100% back on campus, nursery schools and universities. So far, higher education is still in between. So I wonder if that's going to continue. Are they still going to be comfortable coming up to our offices and talking to us? Obviously, I spoke to a lot of faculty about this. Um, there was this response when students came and complained that they couldn't do an assignment project and they used COVID as an excuse for everything. And faculty would say, oh, but we're all going through this. But then I would remind faculty at their age, we didn't have COVID. We didn't have a lockdown. We weren't actually being taught over a screen. So that's my number one concern. And obviously one of the other issue that I, I currently see it as a problem and we're suffering from. So the, the idea of bringing back people. So for example, two weeks ago, we had our first um, real town hall meeting for the university on campus, but then they threw in that option of the hybrids that it's going to be obviously aired live out of it, auditorium fits 600 people. We have 15 faculty only, only 15. And guess what? A lot of them were on campus, but in their offices. So they just didn't want to come down. I found that shocking. I was the first person to run, of course. <laughs> Yet I'm such an extrovert. So for me, actually, that was one of my struggles during COVID. It really hit me not being able to be around people. But did you face that issue? And how do you, now what I do in our events, I tell my team, don't even give the option of hybrid, which is selfish because we, some people actually need it, right? Some people actually are sick or out of the country. But because once you put that hybrid option, I feel people, are more comfortable, at least here where we are. So I just want to hear thoughts if you had this issue and how do we overcome this now since we are thriving and we are moving forward. Thank you. You I'm bring up the let, big issue. Yeah. Uh, I want to go to Amy, Amy, I think, because she's best equipped to answer this one. Amy? <laughs> well, I am a supporter of community. So I, I love the online space. I, it has done wonders for my business that I didn't didn't know was possible, but I think that we have to find a balance. Um, there's definitely a balance between the convenience, which is awesome, and having a, you know, I have a 10-year-old and, an, and a 19-year-old, so I have one that's, uh, you know, tried to do online school and tried to do these things, and now we have a homeschool program and one that loved the online space. So I like to see that, I mean, we do have an issue with people not wanting to leave their homes now, and I think we're going to have to really Again, it's going to come back to being creative and being curiosity, you know, curiosity and being compassionate about it. Find out what's going on to get them back out. I don't think people are truly going to be happy sitting behind a desk the rest at a laptop the rest of their lives 24-7. I don't think we are human beings. We are meant to have a sense of belonging. And yes, this is amazing. Um, and I traveled to Denver and it was very stressful to travel to Denver for work. I mean, it was a whole lot of work because I haven't hardly traveled. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is how life is going to be. I've gotten used to sitting here at home. Uh, but I loved it. It was amazing. I got to see things I didn't 
you know, I wouldn't have gotten to see these amazing, the Red Rock, like all that. I met new people and things and it was phenomenal. So finding that balance and again, asking these people, why the heck don't you want to come out of your house now? Like you used to like it. And I have a 19, almost 19 year old who's an introvert. And she, honestly, she sat around and quilted during COVID. So, and she was 17, a senior in high school. And she sat around quilting. She was perfectly happy to go sew and quilt. So there are people that do that. And she likes the online option, but she, she even as an introvert that wanted to quilt all through COVID, wanted to go to college and be with people. She was disappointed that some of her classes were online and, or that she's sitting in a mask and can't get to see, actually see people or that they're, you know, they don't have the same activities. So even my very, very introverted daughter who wants to sit at home and quilt wants some of that. And so I think, and like I said, I had all these struggles with traveling. It was very stressful, but it was still this, I got home and I'm like, wow, that wasn't as bad as what I, you know, like, I, yes, I'm trying to play catch up now, but and I wouldn't want to do it all the time, but there's a balance and we need to ask those questions. We need to ask questions. What, what do you need to come out to, to do that and to get that sense of belonging? Because I don't think people are going to be, we're human beings. We are, we are not meant to be isolated and alone. We are meant to be with people, at least some of the time, even introverts. So we need to ask a lot of questions, ask them to dig deep. Like that's what coaching is about is to ask a whole bunch of questions. So they figure it out on their, on their own. And that's what we need to do with these people that don't want to attend any events. Like what the heck is going on that you don't want to you know, be a part of this. And maybe we're more selective. I mean, I'm more selective about where I spend my time. I don't feel like through COVID, I had a whole bunch of extra time. I felt very stressed. I had to redo a business, get a bunch of training, try to homeschool, do it all alone. So I know people were like, oh, I had a lot of time to be reflective and, and reevaluate. No, I had a lot of time to refigure things out and had to go back. I had no choice but to figure out who I am, but, um, and what, what really works for me and my family. And we need to do that for everybody else is get them to figure out what it is they really need. What, how are they going to thrive? And it's not going to be sitting at home all of the time. What is it to get, what events will they go to and what, you know, what ones matter? And I, you know, I wasn't in the corporate world, but I know people are like, we don't have to have a meeting for everything. Right. So let's be selective and let's be like, Hey, this is what we do online. And this is what we do in person. Now figure it out and, and ask questions about why they won't. So that'd be my best. There's gotta be a balance. It can't be we're online all the time and it can't be, you know. Amy, the answer was when I came upstairs and I saw everybody in their office instead of the auditorium, which is literally just, you know, a few steps <laughs> down, they said, well, you know what? It's the same outcome. I'm hearing the same information while I'm actually doing work. I said, it's the first time ever we were invited all after 18 months to <laughs> see each other, but they did not see the significance. It's, it's a matter of convenience now. Why should I go down and waste my time? I think That's that... I have a different energy sitting in my office than I do. And maybe people have forgotten what that feels like. Like if you get back in touch, there's a totally different feeling for me to like, when I do a class online, a speaking thing online, there's a totally difference between sitting there, watching a screen of people and me showing up and standing in front of a room. So if people get back to what, what really feels good, maybe they've lost touch with it. You know, you sit at home for 18 months, get out and do something. And there are people that don't feel safe. So obviously you need to do that, find some way for them to feel safe, but we have to get people a little bit out. Like I can't imagine if the option was to walk down the steps, I would be jumping on it unless there was some specific reason that was, you know, maybe someone had a weakened immune system or I don't know, maybe they prefer to sit in their yoga pants at home. Some days are, are like that, but I think we need to ask questions to find out what, and like some of these businesses, I'm in Omaha and a lot of businesses shut down and a lot of people didn't go back to work because the government's paying them more money to stay at home than they are paying them to go to work. So we need to evaluate how do we get people 
motivated again, like what is there going back to like your passion and your purpose? What is your passion and your purpose? Because maybe if we address it that way, people will be like, oh, that's right. I did used to like to do that. And I did love this part. So maybe if we go back to that, that'll motivate people to, to step out again. Yeah, thank you, Amy. Uh, we have uh, Matt from the audience who had some comments. So uh, Matt, this is your chance. Please take a minute because we need to wrap up uh, after your comments. Okay, yeah. Hi, everybody. Greetings from Germany. I'm actually uh, a, a former UAE, uh, what do you call it, inhabitant. I lived in the UAE uh, more than almost 30 years ago. Actually, Rajiv and I went to school together. Um, so <laughs> we haven't connected really yet. We'll talk tomorrow. I just wanted to say that uh, one comment that I wrote here was about the financial uh, financial aspect of, of the corona madness. And by the way, here in Germany, uh, actually things are worse than ever, just for your information, because a lot of you sound like it's all over. That's not the case here. But um, yeah, so uh, what I actually do professionally, I coach people on uh, three topics, motivation, mindset, and income, and income is a big uh, a big part of it. Um, I help people to understand what kind of benefits there are in the financial market, how easy it is to gain uh, income and, and, and the continuous income from the stock market and also from cryptos. Um, it's gaining more and more interest now. I've been in the crypto business for a long, long time. People used to think it's all about uh, selling and buying drugs and weapons online. I haven't done any of that. <laughs> so um, what I, I kind of discovered or learned, this was actually very good for me. So actually my business has grown uh, during or partially because of Corona is that people have realized that um, yeah, you know, jobs and also small businesses and so on are not so reliable anymore financially. Uh, things can get very bad very quickly. And it's maybe not a bad idea to have some other options to, to generate income. And that was something I think was actually a positive outcome because not just because I got more clients, but because uh, I want more people to understand that uh, you don't necessarily have to go to a job you absolutely hate. Uh, you can do something else, maybe start your own business. And if you need funding for that, then the financial market is an option. Yeah. So that was kind of my two cents that I shared here in the chat. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Uh, John Scott, uh, I'll give you the last word and then we will close because we are 75 minutes almost into our conversation. I'm going to make it very succinct. And uh, you know, I touched on this before about how we used to uh, be very popular to separate um, happiness and mindfulness and uh, love and humanity from business. And I will end with this quote. Um, and it's by my favorite, no offense to Rumi or anybody else. Uh, when all your desires are distilled, you will cast just two votes to love more and be happy by Hafiz of Persia. So uh, that's the guide for, for me as I look at all these. Uh, opportunities and challenges. And I hope for all of us, so we uh, all take that as a, a guide for us to uh, love more and be happy because I think success comes through this, uh, not as a nice to have addition. So that's my last word. Great, thanks. I don't think anything else needs to be said after this other than a big thank you to all my panelists. You've been awesome, awesome, awesome. We've created great memories. Thank you for the uh, to the audience for investing your 75 minutes with us. And we enjoyed this conversation, this interaction with you. And we'll see you on the other side in the next edition of What's Next. So stay tuned to onlywebinars.com and we'll uh, announce uh, our new webinar there in the next couple of weeks. So thank you all, stay safe and be good. And let me say bye and give everybody a chance to say bye to our audience. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.